0: everyone and welcome to another episode of this podcast series by the Program in International Nutrition at Cornell University, or as we like to call it, the PIN Podcast. In this series, trainees in PIN interview leaders and rising stars in the field of international nutrition and global health. Today on the podcast, our interviewers include myself, I'm Nidhi, and I'm a research aide.
1: And I am Elizabeth, a PhD student.
0: And I'm very glad to introduce you to our guest today, Dr. Anthony Wendt. Dr. Wendt is the technical officer for reaching the very poor at Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition, GAIN. Based in Washington DC, he supports GAIN's efforts to improve the diets of the very poorest and the most marginalized communities. His background is in community-based participatory research and context-sensitive food system interventions in smallholder communities, with particular emphasis on mitigating dietary mycotoxin exposure among low-resource rural populations. Thank you so much for joining us today, Anthony.
2: Welcome. Thanks so much, it's good to be here.
0: All right, so to start us off, why don't you tell us more about your work as a technical officer for reaching the very poor at gain, and what does your day-to-day life look like in the office?
2: Sure. So. I, as the technical officer for Reaching the Very Poor at GAIN, um, am largely tasked with uh, ensuring that our organization's nutrition work adequately and respectfully serves the nutritional needs of those who are the most marginalized in in the places that we work. A major part of my responsibility in this role is is leading our new program on social protection, where uh, across the countries where GAIN has projects, we're starting to roll out new activities related to social protection systems and particularly how we can leverage social protection to improve nutrition and to ensure that nutritious and safe foods reach those who need them the most. That's,
1: that's very interesting to hear and I think this is something that we, we are constantly thinking of or, or, or trying to, to assess the evidence and come up with like good solutions. And sort of like tied to that in that in that context, from your perspective, what do you think are the main priorities or, or challenges in that field for the next years, five, 10 years? I'm thinking from the perspective of the uh, upcoming generation or, or trainees that are getting into this field and getting getting ready to work.
2: Yeah, well, the way I see it, and this is not a comprehensive list at all, but two of the top priorities I think that are surfacing now and that are worth paying attention to today and in the next five or 10 years are first and foremost that the systems designed to serve the very poorest communities are not always designed with their needs and constraints in mind. You know, I think there's so much value in being human-centered and community-specific about how we intend to reach highly vulnerable populations. And uh, an important first step is for social protection administrators and other agencies and institutions to get very serious about listening to them, the the target beneficiaries and understanding their needs and what works for them. If an intervention isn't meaningful in a local context and it absolutely isn't positioned well to to result in, in nutritional gains. So that's the first, I think, top priority that comes to my mind. And the second, and one that's becoming increasingly clear to me as I worked as Spearhead Gains social protection program, is that so much of social protection innovation, just like any innovation at scale, is driven by political will and the political economy, right? And so something that's incredibly important and increasingly important is that science and other sorts of evidence streams are appropriately leveraged to build up a business case that can convince administrators, policymakers, and and decision makers in different contexts that investing in this is a good idea, that by making improvements, you can measurably and unambiguously improve the lives of, of the people that are being served. So I think those are the two things that come to my mind as, as top priorities, but there are many more angles that c- could be also covered.
1: Well, a little bit as a, as a follow-up, especially on the first part, and then we'll go to the, the second part as well on skills. I'm wondering if you could give us a bit of a, an example on how you've seen or in your experience uh, this, a way of integrating those same sort of like perspective or constraints that people who are sort of like in more vulnerable conditions actually have to face? Because as you said, there are usually the people who have less of a voice um, in the decision of implementation programs and things like that, policies.
2: Yeah, well, I think the, the way that this plays out is very context specific. But some of the more powerful examples that, that I've seen uh, really are those that try and localize the implementation of, of nutrition interventions. There's an emerging movement now to localize nutrition and to localize public health, and I think that it has a lot of promise. Thinking about how we can ensure that nutritious food offerings that are available in social protection systems are produced locally and uh, distributed locally, that can really make sure that what people receive is consistent with their dietary preferences and and is consistent with what their families choose to to prepare and choose to consume. I think that can go a long way. And we are doing some of this work at GAIN, particularly an example comes to mind of our work in Nigeria, where in cooperation with the National Homegrown School Feeding Program, we're trying to work with local aggregators of nutritious foods to ensure that these communities are able to have access to foods that are produced and aggregated locally Um, and that has implications for the sustainability of this program as well
0: well yeah thank you so much for sharing all this and it was really nice to hear about your work at gain and then i guess like this next question is geared more towards the upcoming professionals in international nutrition so going back to your days as a trainee What are some skills that you gained during your phd work that helped you in your current work at gain right now
2: yeah that's a wonderful question and and a topic i love talking about because my time as a a trainee at pin and particularly as a tci scholar at the tata cornell institute for agriculture and nutrition was incredibly impactful for me and and important for my career trajectory Um, as a tci scholar in the plant pathology department at Cornell, I was able to really connect the dots between agricultural science and nutrition in a very powerful way. Um, And I think that was in a large part attributable to the robust focus at TCI on field work, which really empowered me to embed my research within the context of the communities that I was serving. And that ability for me as a trainee to see science play out on the ground in ways that was meaningful for the communities was very much a, an essential building block for my current focus on reaching the poor and, and developing programs that work for them.
0: Thank you so much. And it's really nice to know that you are also a PIN alumni. If you were to give any sort of advice to the trainees in PIN right now, or any advice on what skills they should be honing in, What would that be?
2: Yeah, my uh, advice to PIN trainees and and to grad students everywhere, frankly, is to think interdisciplinary thoughts. You know, uh, I was very challenged as a plant pathology PhD student with a background in fungal ecology to draw lines from where I was to where I wanted to be, that space of community impact, that space of international nutrition. And I felt like I was able to grow so much by thinking outside the box, taking nutrition courses alongside my fungal genetics courses and seeing those interconnectivities between them and trying to exploit that synergistic potential. So something I would recommend to everyone is take up more courses outside of your field because they're all connected and there's a lot of potential for overlap that you might not even be able to imagine.
1: Well, thanks so much for, for that perspective. I think uh, that probably resonates with a lot of us that have mixed different backgrounds uh, before coming to the, to the division of nutritional sciences. So we're all trying to see how to connect those dots, how to make sort of different perspectives and, and, and skills uh, to connect and, and have a meaningful consequence in the public policies and, and nutrition. And so I have a follow-up on some of your earlier comments. About this idea of presenting our uh, research ideas or plans or interventions as a way that convenes policy makers decision makers administrators and things like that that are not that are not having really a, a scientific background perhaps and so that ties into the skills you were mentioning earlier too so I wonder what would you
2: to the new generations, the Chinese,
1: about getting better at that? Because it's not something that
2: we naturally do. Yeah, um, no, that's, a, it's always a challenge. And the reality is, I think that there isn't a simple answer, because the process of effectively translating knowledge or translating evidence from the ivory tower to actionable policymaking recommendations is something that it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy but i'd say that for me my foray into translational research as a discipline as a topic was really instrumental in allowing me to understand how data and numbers translates into decisions you know there are a lot of practical realities that aren't hard to imagine you know governments and decision makers are interested in in their bottom line in their budgets they're interested in making the citizens in their jurisdiction happy and make them feel empowered and make them feel comfortable. So I think something that is always uh, in my mind is how do we connect our evidence to these clear-cut priorities that you know will impact decisions and that you know have weight and merit in, in a decision-making process. So thinking about translational research and Categorizing one's decisions into into really actionable insights is is really a powerful way to do it.
0: And thanks so much. So I just have a follow up question on that. As a part of your position, how often is it required for you to travel internationally, and how do you form international partnerships?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, I joined Gain about a year and a half ago in the midst of the COVID-19 global pandemic, where nobody was traveling for, for any reason at all. So I haven't done too much international travel, even though my work directly serves program activities that are happening on the ground in various countries. But I have, since COVID has declined in its severity or public importance, uh, been able to travel to some field locations uh, and am planning to travel more actively to field sites. Um, There is a lot of travel inherently involved in my work and important to my work because all of the work that I do is very much in the service of local communities. And so having the ability to step foot in that community context and really personally understand the needs and constraints of a system or of a population is essential. But at the same time, I and Gain and many of us are reckoning with this idea of whether it is important or essential for people in rich countries or from privileged backgrounds to be traveling far distances and whether or not we can actually empower and embolden local communities, local scientists, local researchers to be doing that work. I think that the COVID-19 pandemic was an important lesson for the global development community in how to empower local partnerships. And that's something that GAIN has been doing for a long time, but is increasingly more in, in invested in now and interested in. So it's it's a balance, but I think uh, complementing my own travel with an intentionality to uplift and develop local partnerships is really the way that I'm going about it and the way of the future. And I'm delighted that GAIN as an organization so committed to alliance building is really sitting on a strong foundation for making that a clearer reality.
1: This is great to know. I think uh, it's true. Uh, this idea of hybrid work and, and sort of like offline, in-person, I think has uh had a great impact, not only in global development, but in our sort of like local daily lives. And you brought up a great point about sustaining those those partnerships. And so something that often comes up in sort of like trainee discussions is uh, the idea of networking or purposely connecting with people. And so we were wondering in your experience, how does that work? What What is sort of like your insights?
2: Yeah, well, networking is uh, important for many of us and for many things. It's not something that I feel I'm particularly good at, frankly, but I do make an effort because I'm so driven by connection, right? And I think there's so much value and promise in, in good partnerships, even thought partnerships. For me, the way that I've gone about networking is by finding academic spaces, academic communities that really are consistent with my interests and oftentimes these are interdisciplinary academic spaces that blend a lot of perspectives together around shared interests. So going to conferences, joining societies, really making an effort to plug yourself into these spaces is really essential.
1: Well I think I think we are wrapping up. So
2: in this podcast, we have the
1: our traditionally last question or two questions um, for a bit of a fun ending. And so, the question is: What is the
2: worst and best thing about your job? Mm, well, uh, I'll start with the best. Uh, the best thing about my job is that I get to really see how these sorts of programs play out in local contexts and how they result in uh, in nutritional gains. I think there's a lot of power in thinking through a program from design, through its implementation and through its evaluation. And, And as part of GAIN, which is a highly programmatic organization, we're able to really see a direct line from our conceptualization to impact. And that's a a really powerful thing. So that gives me a lot of satisfaction. and I love seeing how these programs that we do and as part of the consortia that we're involved with really impact people's lives meaningfully. the The worst thing about my job, well, I think I, I can't <laughs> I can't say anything is particularly bad about my job. I love GAIN and I'm very satisfied there. Um, But something that I do think is a bit concerning is that I am so far distant, so far removed from the places where where my work is implemented on the ground. I was very privileged at Cornell during my time as a TCI scholar, where, where I was able to spend substantial time living and working in the field and directly engaging with the farmers that benefited from my work. At GAIN, Sitting in DC, I I don't have that direct line into the field uh, like I used to have. And so it's really pushed me and challenged me to try and see things from different perspectives and to appreciate things in different ways. So it's been a process, but overall, not too bad, all things considered.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing all this, Dr. Wendt. And it was really nice to have you, although virtually back at Cornell and PIN. And once again, thank you for joining us. Do you have any closing remarks for our audience?
2: No, uh, I think I've said my piece, but I just wanted to thank you both for the opportunity. This has been a lot of fun and looking forward to the seminar.
0: Yeah, it was great to learn about everything you've done and everything you're doing. And thank you to the listeners of this podcast. Stay tuned for more insightful conversations with amazing researchers in international nutrition and global health. Thanks for listening.